Rusty Quill presents. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, I don't know if you've ever heard about this website called Patreon, but it's a place where there's Woebegone and you can click on it. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash woe underscore begone, and you can get early access to episodes, instrumentals, soundtrack albums, Q&As, cat clips, director's commentaries, and more. New stuff gets added to the Patreon every single week, sometimes multiple things per week. You never have to stop listening to Woe Begone. Special thanks to my ten newest patrons, Zed M, Tranos Carr, Leslie Joyce, Jeremiah Easley, Instavoid, Froggy, Yet Another Archivist, TTT, Jude L., and L. Adams for supporting the show. Enjoy. Warning. This episode contains a description of disfigurement. Listener discretion is advised. It was a day unique in its normalcy. It was frigid but sunny, creating a comfortable atmosphere in the base. Edgar, Anne, and myself were there, each in our respective makeshift offices, plugging away at new plans. It felt like an actual office, like we were doing actual work. Things had a tendency to slide toward entropy at great speed at the base, so it was a rarity to be able to sit at a desk and work at a semi-regular schedule. Anne made coffee and everything. There was a novelty to it. It gave me the same feelings as the Tier 2 buildings that I had broken into to use the security program. Productivity! Self-starting! Hamster shit! Likely more hamster shit than most offices, but that comes with the territory. The hamsters resided in my office, obviously. The others were unwilling to quote, get so attached, but I was willing to have my heart broken if it meant that I got to care for them. Base had successfully received some data from the device that Overmike had connected inside of Tier 2, and we were busy parsing through that data to see what we could decipher. It was slow going, impeded by our lack of knowledge, but we were making some progress. Edgar and Anne were especially interested in this concept that they were calling connectivity. Sometimes, actions taken in the past would result in the subject remembering both iterations of the event. For example, 
I remember finding a dead punished hunter in my cabin when Edgar was with me, even though what might be considered the true timeline of events excludes that entirely from the record. But other instances result in the subject remembering nothing but what I'm calling the true timeline of events. For example, Edgar doesn't remember seeing Punish Hunter's corpse in my cabin. He only remembers being transported to Mesa, Arizona, and that's what the true timeline reflects to anyone outside of it except for me. Matt doesn't remember me killing him in order to complete the fourth challenge, but I wake up screaming from a nightmare about it about once a month and Edgar has to coax me back into bed. The relationship to only true timelines is what we're calling connectivity. There is a through line wherein the past Edgar is connected directly to the current Edgar. But connectivity and disconnectivity might not be as separated from each other as they sound, it might be a spectrum with points on it that we can't see yet. I haven't even touched on the idea of experiencing different time iterations and remembering none of them at all. By contrast, the calculators, our main way to interact with these timelines, seem to default to a disconnected or more obliquely connected set of interactions. We were using them to duplicate objects by moving them through time and space and then recombining them later, disconnecting them from a true timeline. This leaves your subject, like Princess Daffodil or Edgar, with both sets of memories. Disconnected travel like this seems to be vital to operations going even far into the future. The Rigamikes have dual knowledge of many iterations and are using that to do, quote, corrections for what they see as mistakes that the base is making in the now present. They can offer corrections because their perception is disconnected enough that they can see what needs to be corrected. Edgar and Anne were hoping to understand more about connectivity from the data that we had recently stolen from Tier 2, a place that is using both disconnected and connected travel as part of its security apparatus. The hope was that poking around in the code could give some clues into how they are different. We never thought that it was impossible to do connected travel with the calculators, but we did understand that there were settings that we didn't know how to input. I do hope you're not getting confused. This will all be on the exam, and the exam is 20% of your grade. And if you leave a bad review on Rate My Professor because Professor Walters is an unhinged, unstable murderer who doesn't explain his ideas well enough in class, well then I'm going to connect my foot to your... Moving on. Exploring new potential for the calculator meant designing and performing new sets of experiments. They were to start out simply and amplify in complexity, eventually moving from hamsters to human subjects, as previous tests had. It would begin with putting some sort of colored mark on my Princess Daffodil in the past, and then seeing if she still had that mark in the present, then seeing if we could reliably recreate that effect. Edgar specifically brought me into the conversation so that I could develop a more rigid, more standardized operating procedure, as well as to list and prepare things that I might need in the field during experiments such as these. He never said it outright, but it was clear to me that this was him apologizing for almost getting me killed in the middle of nowhere North Dakota. I was healing quite well, and Overmike was healing even better since his job requirements were more relaxed than mine, but I was still uneasy about getting back into the field. Edgar was right to include me, it was good for my peace of mind. Plus the propagation risk seemed to be nil. It would be me testing on myself, and it would be in a small enough time window that it wouldn't really matter if it propagated backwards. And if it were successful, then it would appear to be how the world always was. Then we could use these results to build a methodology at a greater scale, allowing us to have a broader impact on the past. It was a calm, productive day full of challenging, rewarding work. The reality of the work was more complicated than I could wrap my head around, and I imagine that Edgar and Anne felt the same way. 
I spent hours thinking through, writing out, charting, erasing, and starting over again, trying to create foolproof situations and absolutely rocking out to my favorite tune for getting work done, smooth brown noise 12 hours black screen for sleeping, working, studying. Greatest piece of music ever written, bar none. Come at me, Mozart. I was four and a half hours into Smooth Brown Noise 12 Hours Black Screen for Sleeping, Working, Studying when I saw the front door swing open from my seat. I couldn't hear it because I was on a transcendental audiophile journey, but the door swung open so hard that it hit the opposite wall. This dramatic entrance stirred the still air of the bass. Marissa burst through the doorway in a we-have-a-problem sort of way. I took off my headphones and made my way to the front room. Edgar and Anne followed suit. It was immediately clear that getting things done was about to take a back seat to putting out fires. Why didn't you fuckers tell me you ran into Ravi? Marissa demanded. Who is Ravi? Anne asked, befuddled as the rest of us. Marissa turned to me. Ask Mikey here who Ravi is. I stared at her blankly. Ravi, she continued, works nights and mornings on my patrol route. Were you not going to tell me that you ran into him? Twice? Did you think you were being stealthy? Because now we have a fucking problem. Marissa looked as though she might devour me. The cold air crept in from the open door. I looked helplessly at Edgar and Anne, putting my hands up in an embarrassed shrug. And you're lucky, she said, needling me with her eyes, because I'm in the middle of taking care of it. This is Wobegon. Singh, as you might imagine, is someone who doesn't take kindly to being kept in the dark about things that involve her. She was part of this now. She drove her patrol cart through the tier 2 fence to come to our rescue. Propagation be damned, she was entitled to information. I was highly sympathetic to this point of view, having seen the wrong end of need-to-know bases all too often, though I was too weak-willed to put my foot down about it. And Marissa was about to explain how this approach had completely backfired. I offered her a seat and asked her if she wanted a cup of coffee. She ignored me and began telling us what was going on. I ran into Ravi this morning when he was getting off shift and I was heading back to the cabin to get some sleep, she said. <laughs> you guys are lucky that he likes me so much. I trained him, showed him everything that he knows, I kept him under my wing and made him the best damn security guard he can be. He's young, looks up to me, asked me for advice. He even started calling me the bear slayer after they put the bear up in the cafeteria. I don't mind having my ego stroked. You guys know that I don't get along with everyone, but Ravi's alright. He's a lot like you, Mike. Talks too much. That's Mikey, alright, Anne added. He brought it up as casually as me telling him what I had just had for dinner, Marissa explained. Hey Marissa, I know it's not technically our jurisdiction, but I've been seeing shit on the other side of the fence. That shit being, drumroll please, you Mikey. He doesn't know who Mike Walters is, but he's seen your face. Ravi says that he's seen you sneaking around in tier 2 twice. Once the night before I saved your asses inside of Tier 2, and then the other a few nights ago. Ring any bells? 
Well, the second time was over, Mike, so that's not technically my responsibility, I said. Right, right, not your responsibility, so that makes it okay then, Marissa said. I blushed. If someone had told me that something was going on, I could have taken those shifts and then looked the other way. So I had to sit there and try to play it cool with Ravi. Something going on in Tier 2? What, whatever could you mean? He believed me, no reason not to. Yeah, boss. Oh, he calls me boss sometimes. I hate it. I'm not his boss. Yeah, boss. I'm working on a report to file with Over right now. There's just some sort of connection that I'm missing. I want to point him in the right direction when I tip him off, you know? And I told him I understood. Well, man, that's so weird. Who all have you told about this? Just you. And when he said that, that's when I knew that I had exhausted being cool about this. She had stopped gesturing with her hands and had put them together, rubbing the opposite palm with her thumb. So you're saying that things got hot? Anne asked. Marissa scoffed. Did you already hide the body, or is that why you're here? I asked. Fuck you, Mike. She scowled at me. I didn't kill him. He's tied up in my cabin right now. We're not killing Ravi. Dumb kid just needs the fear of God put in him. We all stared at Marissa, triangulating what next to say. So is he alone in your cabin right now? Anne asked. No, no, no. Over Mike and Edgar are there keeping an eye on him until I get back, she said. I filled them in, and then we all decided together that I should come here and establish initial communications, since I'm the one who knows the whole story. That does sound like something that I would suggest, Edgar said. Our earpiece has end-to-end -end encryption, but there's no point risking things with you giving a phone call to base. Marissa continued, Hunter was headed to Ravi's cabin when I left to find and destroy any relevant documents. I told him to burn the place down if you couldn't find him. He should be about done with that. Edgar, I'm going to assume that you're going to suggest the same thing that you said in my cabin? You mean stopping Ravi from ever seeing Mike? Edgar asked. Nailed it, Marissa said. You're going to press Control z on this? I looked at Edgar sternly. We weren't prepared for that. So, I feel like we need to come up with a better way of solving our problems than kidnapping, Edgar said. But we can try to prevent any of this from ever happening, kidnapping included. That's what we've been working on all day. So I say let's connect to the Overcrew and see if they can help us out with this. Hello? Ovedgr mewed into the earpiece. I could hear someone else shifting uneasily behind him. We are here with Ravi. Marissa just left us here with him? His tone gave away how uncomfortable he was with the situation. Put Mikey on, I said. Sorry, Edgar, he just has more experience with strangers tied up in cabins than you do. And I don't want two Edgars to talk to each other that much. It increases the likelihood of a cowboy iteration. I could hear Overmike seizing the earpiece and muttering something about cowboys as well. What can I say? Great minds think alike. Great mics think a mic. Don't put that in the show. Hey, so Marissa filled you in, Mikey asked. We wanted you guys on the line before we started asking questions. Yeah, we got the story so far. Let her rip, I said. Cool, cool. Let's get started then. Hi, Ravi. Do you recognize me? Mikey asked. Ravi didn't respond. That's not a trick question. We aren't here to hurt you. We're just trying to get some resolution here. You told Marissa a story about me, right? So you recognize me? This was Mikey attempting to play good cop. Y yes Ravi said. Right, you recognize me. 
Okay, so before we go on, you understand that you don't owe over anything, right? Mikey asked him. They are a shady, covert operation, and they do not care about your well-being. They would just as soon kill you to make sure that you didn't tell anyone what you saw as they are to reward you for doing your duty. Do you understand? Hey, uh, Base Mike, he nodded. Sorry, I'm speaking to my team through an earpiece, so they can't see you. Ravi? Marissa is at the base with my team. She is on my team. We are doing things that Over can't know about. Do you understand? Mike, he nodded again. Information has to be very tightly controlled or it's going to spill out everywhere. It's nothing personal, we just can't let this get away from us, you know? Marissa respects you, she's your friend. More like work acquaintances, but whatever, Marissa grumbled. Mikey continued. All we want is to interface with you to determine how we can alleviate tensions from here. I know that we can come to an arrangement that makes both of us happy. No one has to get hurt. But if you had filed that report, it would have hurt me and Marissa terribly. We don't want to hurt you. We have a technology that makes us capable of an enormous and profound evil. And no offense to you, Ravi, but I have killed men that I liked a lot more than you, people that I considered close friends or family. But we don't have to resort to that today, do we? We only want your cooperation. Can you repeat back the gist of what I just told you, just to make sure that we understand each other? What? I could tell that that final off-microphone was directed at the harsh gaze that Ovedgar was giving Mikey, because that was the same look that Base Edgar was giving me. I gave Edgar a look back of, well, what am I supposed to do about it? I thought that Ravi might either stick to his silence or start screaming. Either would have been an understandable response. Instead, he started talking immediately. His nervous energy was palpable. So, my takeaway is you guys are terrorists. Marissa's a terrorist. I assume that you guys are the ones that attacked that building in Tier 3. And then I saw something that I shouldn't have when I saw you on the other side of the fence. There wasn't any bile in his accusation that we were terrorists. It was all stated very matter-of-factly. And then I was going to report the suspicious activity that I saw to my boss, but when I told my boss, she was in on it. Stressing again that I am not his boss, Marissa reminded us. And now, sorry, we are getting to the point that I don't understand, Ravi said. You're going to kill me, but you want me to understand why you're killing me, like a Bond villain, but also you're trying to be really nice about it, I guess? I guess I don't understand what else you could possibly do. We're not going to kill you, Ovegger said, sounding slightly perturbed. You heard him say that we don't want to hurt you, right? But I'm not an idiot. I know what goes on out here, and I saw what I saw, Ravi said. You could pay me off or threaten me with violence, and then I'd be a loose end wandering around over. I would be a ticking time bomb, ready to blow up your whole operation at a moment's notice. And of course now I'll remember this too, being tied up in Marissa's cabin? That's no good. And I know that I'm not giving you any ideas. Marissa is smart enough to have thought about all of this. And at the end of the day, you can't make me unsee what I saw. Mikey chuckled. Well, you're wrong there. The plan is to make you unsee what you saw. And that's why we're talking to you. We need your help in that regard. We have methods that you aren't aware of. That's why we don't have to kill you. Or rather, if we kill you, it will be an accident. I, I promise. I don't really know what you mean, so I don't see how I can help you. 
Ravi said. Well, let's start from the beginning then, Ovedgar said. Do you start your patrols the same way every night, for instance? I think so, yeah, Ravi said. I don't know how that helps. Me and Marissa split the cart. I take it from the lot after she's done with it, fill out my paperwork, and get going. Same route every night. Marissa, is that the same parking spot every night? Base Edgar asked her. Yeah, we have reserved spots so that management can check the carts, she said. Do you think that you can find that on a map and remember when your shift ended on those nights? Edgar asked. Oh, yeah, no problem. It's the same every time, she said. I looked around. Anne had ducked out to another room. I didn't know where she had gone. Edgar got back on the communications. Hey, Bear, uh, I think we got it. Good thinking with the cart, you two. No cart, no patrol, no getting spotted. We're having Marissa pinpoint a location and a time of the cart for us, and we're going to sabotage it somehow. We're popping the tires. Anne yelled from the garage. We are popping the tires, apparently, Edgar repeated. There is no need to exchange operations information with Ravi any further. I repeat, do not exchange any operations information. There is no need to risk propagation. We are going to attempt a connected transport event. I would say get prepared to be launched uncomfortably through time, but if it works, you won't remember this, so I guess good luck, everyone. Stand by. Connected transport event. Mikey laughed. I love it when you use jargon. That's a 10-4 on the prop. We'll talk about the weather, I guess, until we receive further instructions. So, do you like the cold, Ravi? I didn't used to, but I think I'm starting to get used to it from walking around for hours. Edgar turned the volume down on the comms, and we prepared for action. Base had an intricate map of Tier 1, a combination of available maps and our own meticulous additions. Marissa effortlessly identified her parking spot, as well as times on the offending days that the cart would be there. Anne emerged from the garage with a big handful of nails. The plan came together in a flash after that. We were going to transport the nails, to pop the tires, to delay the patrol, to prevent Ravi from seeing me. Anne could do all of the prerequisite math, and Edgar could punch the right numbers into the calculator. We were almost set. Still, the idea of using connected transport to undo something that so desperately needed to be undone didn't sit well with me. It felt like the first human experiments all over again. Sometimes trying to make sense of the calculators on the fly worked out just fine. Edgar was consolidated with himself with no problem. Other times it left a trail of corpses and it wasn't possible to tell which outcome was right in front of us. Despite my misgivings, I didn't want to speak up about it. I was ashamed. I had been careless and that carelessness allowed me to get caught twice. If Ravi hadn't made the mistake of telling Marissa what he had seen, then those reports would have made it to over, and there's no telling what would have happened from there. Maybe one of the hunters would have been able to squash it before it became a big deal, but that's a big if, and not one that any of us felt comfortable relying on, innocent hunter included. I had acted in a way that made whatever we did next a gamble. It was my fault. But at least with this particular gamble, at least we were rolling the dice ourselves. While I was internally grappling with the actions that led us there, while Anne was doing the math, while Edgar was determining coordinates, there was an urgent knocking on the door of the base. Hey, stop! A muffled voice said from the other side of the door. Corrections! He said, removing all doubt as to who was out there. 
myself being the most tuned to the Latvia Mike Brigade, I was the one to approach the door and open it, hoping for the presence of one particular Mike and not the other. I certainly didn't expect what I saw. It was a Mike, all right, but more gaunt and frail than Mike or Michael ever had been, at least in my experience. He looked as though the world had chewed him up and spat him out. His right eye was completely clouded over. Without saying so much as a word to me, he brushed right past me and into the main room. Marissa, Edgar, and Anne stopped what they were doing and stood transfixed by this Mike Walters. It occurred to me that this was the first future Mike Walters that any of them had ever seen. He turned back and glanced at me, still behind him, closing the door. On his face was raw contempt, like I had failed at preventing something terrible from happening to him. He turned and faced the group. Hi everyone, Mike here. First off, nice to meet all of you at the base. Congratulations, you figured out connectivity. Fucking congratulations. I am so proud of you. I just have one minor correction here. Did it never occur to any of you idiots that if the cart is out of commission on a certain night that someone might be captured and interrogated and imprisoned, tortured, uses a blackmail pawn, and generally be a profound hindrance to the base for years, all because the cart couldn't get fixed in time? That cart has to come crashing through the border of Tier 2 or Mike Walters is in trouble... So if you're going to go through with that, could you do over Mike a big favor and make sure that you drive one of those nails right through his brainstem while you're at it and just save us the trouble? Do you know what it's like to wake up disoriented with a full set of new memories in fucking Latvia while a fucking cowboy is trying to field dress your wounds and calm you down? <laughs> I give it one thumb down, personally. He held up his left hand to show that it was missing the thumb. It was long scarred and healed over. Whatever happened to it happened a long time ago. I held my tongue regarding my own experience being bandaged and reassured by Michael. Don't do the connection, he said. Everyone stared at Mike, unable to speak. I wondered if over Mike had heard him through the earpiece or if he was innocently making chit-chat with Ravi. Mike, but he... you didn't... you weren't like this when I met you, I said. We haven't met yet, dumbass, he said. I understand that's a contradiction, but it works out. Connectivity works via a decision matrix. It allows you to suss out the general outcome, for instance me standing here looking at you through my only good eye, but predicting the end points is a whole other endeavor. As it stands at this very second, the de facto decision is apparently to continue with the connection, which means that the result of that connection is still viable, evidenced by yours truly. Don't ask me how exactly it works, but this is how the tech overcomes the initial paradox of time travel. Logically, if you succeeded in doing what you intended to do backward through time, then you wouldn't ever need to use time travel to accomplish your goals, so you wouldn't use time travel, so the event wouldn't go as intended, so you would need time travel, and so on in an infinite loop forever. None of what we do would be possible if that connection between the present and the past couldn't be overcome. I don't think I understand anything that you just said, I replied. I know, Mike huffed. But if we agree to stop what we're doing, then none of this will happen to Mike, right? Anne asked. I couldn't help but notice that she was still holding the nails. Correct. I go back to whatever I was before this decision rippled out into the universe, Mike said. It's that easy. 
Okay, and what about Ravi? Edgar asked. Impossible for me to know. Something different happens, Mike said. I looked nervously at Anne, who was still holding the nails. Anne, I said, gesturing towards them. Oh, oh, right, she said, setting them down on the table. Mike was still there, even though it felt like a decision had been made. We can figure something out. This isn't our only option, Edgar said. He looked Latvia Mike in the eye and grimaced. I'm sorry, Bear. I didn't know. It's worse for you. You're the one that has to look at me all the time, he said and winked at Edgar. It was the first levity that he had shown. A good Edgar can melt even the hardest of hearts. I felt oddly territorial in that moment. We should let them know over the earpiece, Marissa said. Edgar and Anne nodded. Marissa shuffled her feet. There was a look in her eye that I had seen before, when I told her that she had shot me and not the bear. The look that she gave when her confidence and strength was subverted to terrible outcomes. And, just like last time, I felt oddly compelled to console her, even though she was the one who had hurt me. Hey, bear. You still on the line? Change of plans, buddy. Edgar said into the earpiece. We got a correction, and long story short, we are abandoning the connectivity plan. Okay, but we still have Ravi tied up here. Uh, What's the new plan? Mikey asked. Anything else, babe? Edgar said. The correction did not come with a new course of action. We've just got to get back to the drawing board. The un- It was during this transmission that Latvia Mike brought into the equation only between the connectivity between himself and the failed plan to sabotage the cart blinked out of the room in less than an instant. It felt like thunder struck where he had been standing. It reminded me of the times that I had been transported, though none of us at the base went anywhere. I fell backwards onto the couch behind me. Marissa braced herself on the desk. Anne and Edgar were already sitting down. The room was quiet and still while we got our wits about us again. I could remember everything that Latvia Mike had told us. Of course I could. His warning would be useless if we forgot it when he left. It was disconnected in that way. I would be outright lying to you if I said that I understood all of that. The more that anyone discovers how it works, the less I seem to know about it. I'm gonna fail the exam. I'm gonna give myself a bad review on Rate My Professor. Edgar? Mike? Edgar? Overmike was calling out to us from the earpiece, becoming increasingly concerned. Hey, is everything okay out there? You cut off mid-sentence? Edgar? Edgar scrambled back to the microphone as soon as he could manage. Yeah, uh, we're fine. His sudden lack of breath did not instill confidence. There was a sudden transport. I think we narrowly escaped catastrophe but we do need a new way of dealing with Ravi. We could always kill him, Overmike said. I know we told him that we wouldn't, but... I could hear Ravi sputtering, What? What? in the background. Don't freak him out like that, Base Edgar said. There was legitimate disdain in his voice. We're going to figure this out. All this means is that we're back to where we started. We are not in the red yet. All right, let's get back to it. What's the new plan? This has been Wobegon. Next time, how do you solve a problem like Ravi? How do you catch a guard and pin him down? Thanks for playing.
Yes, this is my shit. Yeah, this part right here, it's coming up. Listen, listen. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Brown noise.